uh, get your Bible out and let's do what we do. Uh, turn with me to John uh, chapter 14. That's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. Uh, John chapter 14. You know, anytime your expectations are up here and the reality of your experience is down here, uh, the difference between that is called disappointment, okay? So when you have high expectations that doesn't really come into that, you're disappointed. I remember a, a while back, Pastor Glenn and I were traveling with a couple of guys. We were speaking to some pastors out of state. And he, he called me, he said, hey, Craig, we got a place to stay. We're not going to stay in a hotel this time. We're going to do Airbnb. It's close to the church. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be better. I'm like, great. And then he kind of went on to elaborate. He goes, oh, it's going to be fantastic. The, uh, you know, it's just been redone. I think you're really going to like it. I'm like, okay, great. So what is my expectation doing? Right? The more he talks, the higher it gets, right? And then we got there, and I really don't know how to describe this place to you, but it was not up here, right? I mean, it was like dilapidated might be a good word, sketchy might be a word. Uh, all those would have applied. We pulled up, we're like, is this really the place? And uh, he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, didn't you see the picture? Well, I only saw the picture on the inside. I didn't see the picture on the outside. And so obviously uh, it wasn't quite what we expected. I think we heard some gunshots. I'm sure we saw a drug deal. But anyway, nevertheless, uh, he's not picking the Airbnb anymore. But, uh, but yeah, our expectations were up. Our reality was low. We were disappointed. This happens in life, right? I got, I'm going out on a date with this cool guy. He's going to be awesome. Reality is he's not very cool. I'm disappointed. I ordered this awesome meal. Looked great on the menu. Didn't taste so good. I'm disappointed. That's just the way life is, right? And so when we get to John 14, what we find is that the disciples of Jesus, their expectations are really high or they've been really high. They've been excited. Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to come uh, and, and really set Israel free from Roman oppression. And this certainly was the case when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that final time on a donkey and the crowds were celebrating him and heralding him as their new king. High expectations. But now, now we're there in the upper room. It's been a week later and all of that is falling apart. And now Jesus is sitting there with them. And Jesus is talking about leaving. In fact, he tells them in, in chapter 13, I'm going to go somewhere and you cannot follow me. Where I go, you cannot come. And then he tells them that Judas is going to betray them. And then he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, you will deny me. I mean, it, they are in a tailspin. They are discouraged would be a... Uh, not, a, not a profound enough, heavy enough word, uh, depressed, overwhelmed, uh, dismayed, all of these things they're feeling in that moment, their expectations have come crashing down. And so Jesus is going to speak to them and he's going to comfort them. And he comforts them by talking to them about heaven. You know, when we think about heaven, we all have this kind of fascination with heaven, this what's it going to be like, you know, what, what is, what, is it real, and if so, what, what, what is it going to be like? Even people that are not necessarily godly people 
uh, people that aren't necessarily love Jesus have a fascination with heaven. I remember watching the Academy Awards uh, last week and in the section of the program where they remember those that have died in the industry of the previous year, they would flash their pictures and of course the day of their birth and day of their death. And usually there's some kind of music. This year they had a gospel choir singing. And I noticed that they were singing about heaven. In fact, here here's some of the lyrics to the song that they sang. I'm going to a city in the sky. Oh heaven, oh heaven, I'm going there. Oh, one day the Lord will crack the sky. I'm going to my home on high, to a city called heaven. Here it is, pretty secular environment, but they're singing about heaven. You know, and I think that many times we, we often have too high an expectation of this world and too low an expectation of the next. You know, the, the Bible tells us over and over, we need to set our minds on heaven. Colossians chapter uh, 3 verse 1 says, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That you could be, you could translate that Continually seek the things above. Continually look for the things above. Keep on setting your mind on heaven. Listen, if you're disappointed in this life, if your expectations have been up here and life is coming in down here, then what do you need to do? You need to elevate your expectations and set your mind and your thoughts on heaven. And that's what Jesus does in this passage. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about heaven, all right? If you're taking notes, uh, I'm going to give you some things to write down, but I'm going to give you more than you can write down. And so if you go to the app and go to resources and sermon notes, you have all the references there that I'm going to be mentioning in this message for you to look up and to study with later, all right? Jesus first talks about the reality of heaven. Let's look at it, John 14, beginning of verse 1. This is the word of God. Uh, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. Now, stop right there for just a minute. Jesus is talking about heaven, and he talks about heaven as a place. A place. Heaven is a place, a real place. So let's just get some of the main questions out of the way here. Uh, What is heaven? What is heaven? Well, I think a good description of heaven is this. Heaven is where Jesus is and where all who follow Jesus will be. Heaven is where Jesus is now and, and some that have died in Christ are with him now and one day we will be with him in a place called heaven. So that kind of begs the second question then, well, where is heaven? Uh, You're certainly not going to find heaven on a map, right? Or or, uh, on some kind of coordinates. So so where is heaven? It's interesting, in the Bible, there are three types of heaven that are are mentioned. And, And just follow me here. Sometimes the sky is called heaven. To lift up your eyes to heaven means to lift up your eyes to the sky where the clouds are, where the birds fly. Our atmosphere is sometimes referred to as heaven. Uh, Sometimes outer space is referred to as heaven. 
where the heavens declare the glory of God and talks about moon and stars and planets uh, and, and the sun. Uh, so that would be kind of the planetary realm or, the, or our solar system would be in times described as heaven. But there is a, a third description of heaven, sometimes called the third heaven, which is the supernatural realm. The supernatural realm. It is a realm not like ours. We, we live in a physical realm bound by time and space and matter, but, but heaven is in another dimension. And, and it is not bound by time and space and matter. In fact, I, I believe that it's that other dimension, that, that spiritual dimension that, that runs alongside our very own because there are certain times in the scripture, and of course this doesn't happen very often, when the veil between the two is lifted and those in the physical realm can actually see into the spiritual realm. For example, we see this in 2 Kings chapter 6 when Eli, Elisha, the prophet, is surrounded by an army and his servant is very upset about this and, and he turns to his servant and says, there are more with us than there are with them. And then he said, Lord, open his eyes. And the servant's eyes were opened to see a host of angelic armies protecting and guarding them. The veil was removed for just a moment to see that spiritual realm, that spiritual dimension. The Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians about being caught up to the third heaven. And it's, he's not super descriptive about what happened. Many scholars believe he's describing a uh, near-death experience. Uh, there was a moment where Paul was stoned outside a city by his enemies and left for dead. They think maybe possibly he did die. And this was where he saw this glimpse of the third heaven, this heaven where God is, that extra third dimension. But heaven is, is a spiritual dimension. That's where heaven is. It's a real place. And listen, if you could get a glimpse of heaven, it would blow your mind. If you could see heaven, it would be beyond description. And that kind of leads us to the next question, and that is, well, what is heaven like? We all want to know that, right? What is heaven like? And the scriptures give several different word pictures to try to describe to us what heaven is like. For example, let me give you a couple of them. <clears throat> For example, uh, heaven is described as a country. In Hebrews 11 verse 16, it talks about the saints of old and they're looking forward to, quote, a better country, a heavenly one. So they were looking for another country, another land, but it was heaven. You know, all the old gospel songs talk about Beulah land, right? The land of heaven is described as a country. In fact, it's interesting when Jesus often described his own going to heaven, he would do it in the parable where a king leaves his country and goes to a faraway country and then he returns. So in some sense, heaven is like a country. You know, I've gone to the Holy Land many times and in, invariably I will return and somebody will say, well, man, I've never been to the Holy Land. What's it like? And I'll do my best to try to describe what the Jordan River is like or try to describe what Galilee is like. But my descriptions really pale in comparison. I usually end up just saying, you just need to go and see it for yourself, right? Well, that's what heaven is like. It's, it's a country. 
It's a place where we've never been, but our heart longs for. Uh, another word that's describing heaven is the word paradise. Jesus told the thief that was dying on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. When Paul was caught up to the third heaven, he described it as paradise. Paradise is basically a description for a, a walled garden, a garden of a king, someplace that's beautiful, someplace that's breathtaking. So in that sense, heaven is not as expansive as a country. It's as beautiful as a garden, a king's garden. Sometimes heaven is described as a city. In Hebrews 11, verse 10, it says it is a city, get this, whose, quote, architect and builder is God. Now, how would you like to go to a city like that? That God created it, God designed it, and God built it. That's a perfect city. And, and that's a city called heaven. You say, well, man, I'd like to see a city like that. Well, you can get a glimpse of it if you read Revelation 21. It talks about this holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven and docking on the earth. I don't believe that's only heaven. I believe that's just the capital city of heaven. And heaven will be all that God creates. The new heavens, the new earth will be all that will be understood to us as heaven. Uh, but, but even that capital city is otherworldly in his description. John, trying to put it, what he sees in, in human terms, talks about it as translucent, like crystal, like glass, like a diamond. And the, and the light that emanates and diffracts through the city comes from God himself. That it has a wall and it has gates and each gate is made of a single pearl. And I, I can just imagine John trying to go, okay, how do I put this into language where people can understand our language is so limited? But it's a city. It's a place where God is. But my favorite description of heaven is found in John 14. This is my favorite one. This is how Jesus describes heaven. And he calls heaven his father's house. I guess if you were going to put it in a short phrase, <clears throat> I would simply say this, heaven is home. It's home. I mean, imagine you've been on a long road trip and you've been in the car for 12 hours, 16, 18, 20 hours, and you finally come into your city and you're so excited to be getting closer to your house and then you turn into your neighborhood and then you turn into the driveway and you pop the trunk and you get your bags out and then you open up the door and you step into your house. Oh, there's a sense I'm finally home. That's what it's going to be like when you go to heaven. Heaven is your father's house. I remember my college roommate came with, home with me one time for a break. And we had been driving for some time and it was dark now. And we were pulling into our neighborhood and uh, my parents house were just a couple of houses up the uh, a couple of houses up the road but but there was a big mansion a couple of blocks before we get to our house it's huge I mean it has this big pillars and it's just it's a huge mansion and just kind of feeling a little ornery I pulled into the circle drive of that big mansion <laughs> and uh, my roommate his eyes got really big he goes is this your house I mean, he was so impressed. I said, no, and then we kept driving, you know. <laughs> but I think when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, this is the Father's house? You've got to be kidding me. It's like this. In fact, it's interesting. In the King James Version, it uses the word mansion. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
the Greek word there, mone, uh, literally means dwelling places or lodging places. Uh, most modern translations translate it rooms. I mean, my father's house are many rooms. I think that's probably the better translation because in, in ancient times, a father, uh, when he would marry off a son or daughter, that they would get married and then they would come back to the father's house and they would add on to the father's house their own unique dwelling places. The, the house was always expanding. The house was always growing, but everyone was attached to the father's house. And so Jesus is saying, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places, many different rooms. That's what heaven is going to be like. Heaven is going to be when the family gets together. I mean, just try to imagine uh, maybe Thanksgiving and uh, the kids are, some are off to college, some are already married and, and, and moved on, maybe some grandkids running around and, and everybody's coming for Thanksgiving uh, lunch and so there's a scurry of activity. You've got to mop the floors and you've got to set the table and you've got to make sure the food is all right. And you're spending a lot of energy getting everything just right. And then the doorbell rings and people come in and the kids run past you and, the, and there's hugs and kisses. And you finally all sit down at the table and everyone is together and the father's heart is full of joy. That's a picture of heaven. I think that's why it resonates with us, because it's a picture of what heaven will be like. And you may say, well, Craig, I've never experienced that. My parents are divorced, and our family's scattered, and we're at odds with each other. I've, I've never experienced that. Well, the good news is one day you will. You'll experience that in heaven. So heaven is a place, and it's the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for you. So, why did God create a place called heaven? If, if Jesus talked about the reality of heaven, in verse 3, he really talks about the reason for heaven. And I want you to see it. Look at verse 3. He said, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare this place. Why? So that you can be with me. So what is the purpose of heaven? What is the reason for heaven? Simply put, the reason for heaven is reunion. The reason for heaven is to be reconciled with God. The reason for heaven is to be reunited with Christ and with those who have gone uh, before him. That's why you were created. You were created for connection. You were created to know God and, and to know others. That's how God wired you. And heaven will be the full and ultimate expression of all that. To fully know God and to fully know others. That's what heaven will be like. In fact, Jesus you know, over and over mentions this idea that we will be with him and with others in heaven. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, uh, Jesus prayed about it in verse 24. He said, Father, I want you, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Father, I want these people to be with me and to see me in my glory. 
When you flip over to Revelation 21 and you get a glimpse of heaven, you read this, then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. It's almost like when he's writing, he's like, this is blowing my mind that God is going to be with us. I mean, our whole experience has been God is separated. God's in heaven, we're on the earth, and there's a separation. And of course, this is our main problem, right? That sin has separated us from God. Before there was sin, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. They enjoyed each other, enjoyed all that God created. And sin brought an end to that and a separation to that. And that's why Christ came. The whole purpose of the gospel is that Jesus came to deal with our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to reconcile us back to God, not just vertically so that we're now one with God, but also horizontally that we can be right with others. And heaven is the ultimate expression of our union with the Lord and with other people. And that's why the cross has two beams. It reconciles us to God and it reconciles us to each other. And that's what heaven is like. This is why God created a place called heaven. It's reunion. Now, that kind of brings up another question that a lot of people ask, and that is, well, will I know people in heaven? I mean, will I recognize people in heaven, people that I know have known in this world? Will I know them there? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, after all, if heaven is all about reunion, what kind of reunion would it be if you didn't recognize anybody? Be like going to somebody else's family reunion. You don't know anybody there. That wouldn't be much like heaven. But listen, if Peter could recognize, just think about this with me. If Peter could recognize Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, even though he had never seen them before. If the rich man could recognize Lazarus on the other side that he had known in this world. But now they were on the next. If, uh, if Jesus could be recognized by disciples in his, in his post-resurrection glorified body, where he said, put your hands here and put your hands here, and they could see him and know him and recognize him and talk to him, then don't you think that you'll be able to see and recognize and know those who have gone before you? Yeah. That's what is going to make heaven so great. St. Augustine was one of the most brilliant minds in the early church, a great theologian that really defended the gospel in very hostile times, not unlike our time today. And he wrote about this. And these these were his words. He said, we have not lost our dear ones who have departed from this life, but have merely sent them ahead of us. So we also shall depart and shall come to that life where they will be more than ever dear as they will be better known to us and where we shall love them without fear of departing. He goes on to say, all of us who enjoy God are also enjoying each other in him, in heaven. You may have someone that you love in heaven. You may have a mother or father in heaven. I talked to two people this morning that just this week, their parents went home to be with the Lord. You may have a son or a daughter. You may have a a brother or sister in heaven. 
but you will know them. You will know them better than you could ever possibly know them here. You will love them. You will love them deeper and richer than you could possibly have ever loved them here. And you will be, you're united with them and you will pick up as if there had been no separation in time, in heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. It's a place of reunion. But he also says a promise here that I just don't want to run past. He said, and I will come again and take you to be uh, to myself. What is this coming again that he's referring to here? I believe he's talking about his coming at the end of time when Christ comes again. You know, Jesus is going to return in physical form. Just as he departed physically, he will return physically. The angel said, why you stand there looking up into the heavens? The same Christ will come in the same manner. And of course, we read about this in Matthew 24, we read about it in 1 Thessalonians 4, we read about it in 1 Corinthians 15, and that's your homework assignment to look those up, but, but that when Christ comes, there will be a gathering up of all the saints and all the believers of all times in this great resurrection of believers that will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And I believe that's what he's talking about here. I am going to come again. But I also believe that before that time that there is a personal receiving of a believer into heaven by Jesus. I believe that when a brother or sister dies in Christ, that Jesus welcomes them into the place that he's prepared for them. Oh, you're going to love the place, he'll say. Made it just for you. You know, when Liz and I uh, were living in Oklahoma, we used to go to this hotel that was run uh, by the University of um, Oklahoma State University. They had like a hotel on their campus. And so we could go there and stay for retreat. And they had a unique thing where if you took them pictures and things that meant a lot to you, then they would put it out on the room when you, when you went. So you would open up the room and there'd be your family pictures and things that were familiar to you to make it look like home. And I, I, I think of heaven that way, that it's prepared just for you. And Jesus is welcoming you into this place. When Stephen, the early church martyr, the first church martyr was dying, he was being stoned to death by his enemies for preaching the gospel. It says that he looked up and he looked into heaven. That's another one of those moments when the veil was separated for a moment. And he saw Jesus. And where was Jesus? He was standing at the right hand of the Father. Now in other places we see that Jesus is sitting at the right hand. But now he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Why is Jesus standing as Stephen is about to die? Because he is greeting Stephen into heaven. And Stephen, seeing Jesus, said, Lord, receive my spirit. See, Jesus welcomes all those that are in him into heaven. What a beautiful thought that he cares for us like he does well, I guess then that leads us to the last part of this, and that is the road to heaven. How do you get to heaven? Jesus talks about it in verse 4. Look at it. You know the way where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus is talking about heaven, the reality of heaven, the reason for heaven. And then he says, now you know how to get there and you got to love Thomas. Thomas just is not pretentious at all. He goes, Lord, we, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know the way. And Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the true and living way to heaven. And I think the reason why Jesus responded that way is because he's been telling them that over and over and over. Right? In John 10.10, he said, I'm the good shepherd that leads you into abundant full life. He said, I am the gate, and through the gate leads the salvation. I am the narrow gate that leads onto the narrow way, Matthew 7, that leads to life and only if you find it. Thomas, I've been telling you this for the last three years. The way is me. I am the way. In fact, it's interesting you look in the book of Acts and, and the, the phrase used to describe the early Christian movement was the way. We are followers of the way. The way to what? The way to heaven. The way to God. The way. He said, guys, I am the way. I am the truth. And, I am the and then just to be sure it's clear, then he adds that second part, and no one comes to the Father except through me. As I was watching that gospel choir at the Academy Awards singing, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to the city in the sky, my home in heaven. I thought, well, you know, there's only one way to get there. That's through Jesus. You know, some people go, see, Craig, that's my problem. That's my problem. It's just so exclusive, right? I mean, how can you say that with all the different religions and all the different people and all the sincere people and all the good people in the world? How in the world can you say there's only one way to heaven? That's, that's what upsets so many people about, the, you know, Christians. Is they, they always say Jesus is the only way. It's so exclusive. And in, in some sense, uh, the gospel is very inclusive and exclusive. It's inclusive in the sense that the gospel is for everybody. Anybody can come to Christ. There are many roads to get to Jesus. Some get to Jesus through a preacher. Some get to Jesus through a parent sharing the gospel. Some get to Jesus through a track or a radio program. There are people come to Jesus that you have a dream and they're led to the gospel. I mean, God is, is sharing the gospel and getting the gospel out to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language, and all religion, all kinds of people are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and turning to Christ. It, it, is, exclu it is inclusive of every kind of person no matter who you are where you've been what you've done you can come to Jesus it's incredibly inclusive but it's also exclusive in that only Jesus is the way to heaven how many people get to the father except through Jesus no one right no one comes to the father except through me Jesus is the way John Newton the great writer of the, the hymn Amazing Grace. I love what he wrote. He said, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people that I did expect to see. And the third and greatest of them all will be to find myself there. See, none of us deserve heaven. None of us. We don't deserve it. We've sinned against God. We've gone our own way. We deserve judgment. But Christ came to make a way for us to be reconciled with God and reconciled with each other 
and to take us to a place called heaven. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? I used to have a pastor when I was a teenager and he would shake his jaws when he'd preach. And he would say, do you know that you know that you know? <laughs> but let me ask you that question. Do you know that you know that you know? Has there been a moment, if I were to sit right next to you, if I could step down off this platform and sit right next to you in your seat and say, tell me the day, tell me the moment when you gave your life to Christ. Could you tell me? The moment you asked Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life and change you and to write your name in heaven. And if you say, well, I, you know, I've always believed in God or I, I you know, I've, I've tried to be a good person or I, you know, I, I was baptized as an infant or I grew up in the ex-church or my parents. See, that's not anything that I'm asking you. Do you know, is there a moment in time that you know when you gave your life to Christ? And if you are unsure, then today can be that day. God brought you here for this moment to place your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith. And if you're here today and you say, Craig, I, I don't know for sure, but I want to know for sure. Then I want you just with everybody's head bowed, you just lift up your hand and I will see that. And I'll include you in that prayer. Okay, thank you. You're here today. Pastor, I want to know for sure. Lift up your hand. So I can see it. Just lift it up where I can see it. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure, but I want to know for sure. Anybody else? God's moving in your heart. Now's the time. Just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. Okay, you put your hand down. And just right where you are, just pray the simple prayer. The Lord knows your heart. And he will hear you when you call on him. The Bible says, he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what we're going to do right now. So just pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. And I have lost my way. But I believe you died on a cross for me, Jesus. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. I place my trust and my faith in you alone. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for writing my name in heaven. Father, I thank you for this truth in your word. It's just so rich in its meaning. And Lord, I know so many times we're disappointed in this world. We expect too much of it. But Lord, help us elevate our expectations to think of heaven, to long for heaven. Where you are there and our hope is there, those that have gone before us are there. And we will serve you and know you and love you there. 
Lord, while we're here on this earth, help us keep our priority of the things that matter in heaven. And let us serve you well in this brief period of time on this world so that we can enjoy you there in heaven. Lord, we love you. We worship you and we pray this in Jesus' name.